Let us pray. Help us to wait for you, O God. Silence in us any voice but your own. And transform us by the hearing of your gospel for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our gospel lesson this morning comes from the gospel according to Matthew. Beginning at the 21st verse of the 5th chapter, let us hear God's word. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on your way to court. Or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you'll be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this might come as a shock to just a very few of you. But I am a huge, huge fan of March Madness. <laughs> Though this year my bracket looks kind of like the throughway does on July 3rd. So I've been trying to conceive of Lent this year as a kind of reverse March Madness with various understandings of reconciliation as the teams advancing through. But rather than losing, each new understanding of reconciliation would advance until the finals, which are of course held on Easter morning, with reconciliation as the champion and all of us winning our office pools. And since this year several of my teams didn't make it at all, and several of my other teams are out already, I'm embracing this alternative vision of March Madness. We've already identified the basic theme of reconciliation at the outset, that God's project through Jesus is reconciliation. The healing of division, the repairing of brokenness, making things right. So that's the first round game, that's the final game, and that's every game in between. Now we've begun to explore what that looks like and what it will look like. Last Sunday, we considered internal reconciliation, that Jesus accepts us, that Jesus wants us to be reconciled with our inner selves, wants us to love our own hearts and spirits, wants us to have our own thirst quenched in order for us to be able to quench the thirst of others. Each of these forms of reconciliation is important. Each of them are gifts. Each is difficult. 
Each means we need to look deeply at ourselves and do the necessary work of reconciliation and absolutely today's bracket entry is no different. It moves us beyond internal reconciliation and along the path to more global reconciliation. But I think in many ways it might be the most difficult one because it calls for honesty and vulnerability and risk. It invades our everyday living, it meddles with our relationships and the rhythms and the patterns of our lives. In the middle of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus is teaching a crowd. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. He is sharing with his followers this alternative vision for how to live life. It begins with what we now call the Beatitudes which we over the centuries have sanitized and beautified, so much so that we often lose their immediate impact. Beatitudes are about how we live life. Not in some theoretical universe, but in the day-to-day activity as we move through our experiences and encounters. Do the right thing. Take mercy. Stick up for what you believe. This is how we're called to live, and Jesus knows that as important as it is, it's difficult and countercultural. Then he tells us that we are salt and light, that we are called to provide seasoning and illumination wherever we find ourselves. Again, this isn't some theoretical suggestion. But it's our quotidian lives, our daily encounters and choices and decisions. Live this way, Jesus says, and not that way. That might be in our family life, in our friendships, at work, as we volunteer. It is certainly true in this faith community. That is to say, you can make a difference by how you live, even when it's risky and countercultural, even when it is prime for rejection. And then there's this. Sometimes you want Jesus to stop, and he doesn't. So a challenging form of reconciliation, because it gets to the heart of who we are and how we engage one another in the immediacy and the intimacy of our lives and our relationships. Jesus says this. If you're angry with a brother or a sister presumably in this case a member of your faith community, then you have a problem. It's hard. He's meddling. This is about personal relationships. But in our parlance, Jesus says that if you're angry with someone, if you have a grudge or a conflict, put everything on pause, and this gets me, put everything in pause, including putting your offering in the offering plate, and work it out. Work it out with that person. First be reconciled, he says. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then offer your gift. Work it out. First be reconciled. Now I'm intrigued by this, of course. I'm challenged by it as well. Maybe you are. I'm imagining that angry situation, that dispute, that conflict, because we're human, they are inevitable. 
someone says a word in anger or takes an action that the other perceives as diminishing or devaluing. It's perhaps a spouse or a partner, a parent or a child, a, a friend or a coworker, maybe even a fellow church member. I think we can all imagine in our heads what this looks like because I can believe we've all been in those experiences and situations. Perhaps we're in them now. On the giving end, the receiving end, or both. Perhaps they're minor, but perhaps they're not. And we know what happens. One word turns into several words turns into an argument. One act becomes a pattern of activity. A minor conflict becomes major. This week I read a story about a famous author. The story recounted the author's childhood, how the parents provided a kind of idyllic and loving and supportive environment. Then one day a choice was made by the author to be a choice contrary to the parents' wishes. Now they are estranged, the story said. Four simple words. Now they are estranged. And reading this story about an author I'd never heard of and will never meet and probably never read, I became, even in that moment, sad for those three humans for that future reality of closed off relationship with little hope for reconciliation. Now they are estranged. It's not how God intends us to live. That's not why God creates us. So what feels authentic to me in this passage when perhaps much of the Bible can seem more conceptual or theoretical, is that Jesus knows we will be in conflict with others, even those near to us, even those we love. We wouldn't need reconciliation otherwise. So this admonition is a call to self-examination, to deep self-reflection, to a kind of maturity that is so challenging. And I know it takes courage on both sides to do what Jesus is suggesting. It takes courage to admit that you're wrong, to confess your fault. Our egos are not conditioned to do that. It leaves us vulnerable and open. And in so many ways, it takes courage to receive that admission break down our walls just a little bit, to let our defenses down, to accept. It takes courage. But I can tell you from my own personal experience and from the experiences of so many, including many of you in this room, it is worth it. Now I know we are in tender territory at this point. Vulnerability and risk are not always our strong suits. And the potential for things not to go well is high. And I'm mindful that I'm not a psychologist or a counselor. I'm mindful that each situation has its own unique and important circumstances. 
So reconciling conversations have to be held in their own time and on their own terms and rhythm and cadences. They cannot be forced, they cannot be artificial, and they must be mutual, held on common ground and with equal terms. Now we know one always gives and takes in a relationship, but to give unequally or unfairly for the sake of a supposed harmony is not what Jesus is contemplating. To submit oneself to a reconciling conversation simply to move on is not true reconciliation. Or to do so on a surface level without exploring the deeper issues is just that, a surface level conversation. And of course, there are caveats. Sometimes we're in it so deep or in such a prolonged way that we will need help, a counselor, a friend, a minister, a mediator, and that's fine. It's not a sign of weakness, but rather a sign of strength to say, help. And sometimes, by the grace of God, it will not work. We know that. We know that there are such things as irreconcilable differences, that our sheer humanity makes restoration and repair unattainable. I cannot speak for Jesus, but I would think he might accept that reality. And to say that the effort was worth it, that we cannot control how the other reacts, that we can only determine our own words and actions. Jesus offers us an invitation, an archetype for whole and healing human relationships. And it's our task, again by the grace of God, to apply his vision in the individual and unique ways that we live our lives. It's true that every friendship cannot be healed. It's true that every marriage cannot be restored. It's true that every conflict cannot be resolved. Yet some can, and some are. And each day where they linger is one day harder for them to be healed, and each reconciling conversation that is held is one more opportunity for Jesus' vision to be embraced. It's not wishful thinking, nor is it an invitation to perpetuate injustice or inequality or worse than that, nor is it ever easy. But every time I suggest to someone else, have you talked to them about it? Or said to myself, you know, I need to apologize or clear the air or stop being so prideful or hard-headed. The greater the opportunity for the seed of reconciliation to take root and to bloom. Now it may feel simple or trivial when the world's reconciliation needs are so great, but it is not trivial or unimportant. It matters because Jesus says it matters and we should take him seriously. And it matters because in order for us to be a force for reconciliation in the church and the world, which we are in fact called to do, 
we will be so much more effective at it, so much more faithful, if we are at peace with those closest to us, who know us and who we know, who love us and who we love, it will be difficult, and it may not work, but Jesus tells us that it is worth it, and we know in our hearts that to be the gospel truth.